I had a blast talking to my friend Walter. Let's hear from him. DaleWileyShow.com Because there was something in the water in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, don't forget me. I'm Brenda Lee, and we're all going to have fun tonight on Ozark Jubilee. The Missouri Music Podcast, hosted by music fan and the founder of Slewfoot Records, Mr. Dale Wiley. And now, am I talking to Walter Salsamara? You are. All right. <laughs> How are you? So anyway, I'm very good. But what I was talking is kind of a simple but hard question, which is, what kind of music do you play? Ooh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, that's always been a tough question for me. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, as you go back in the history of all the albums and all the album reviews and stuff, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. Like, I've been, you know, called everything from, you know, Hard rock, Nirvana is just like hard rock. <laughs> to like, you know, to like Becky, Becky, what alternative hipster thing? <laughs> to like folk music, to like right. country music. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, and, you know, so. what I've been what I've been trying to, you know, study this thing of what I'm calling crazy country hop. Because there's no right answer. It's just what did you call it? I'm sorry, I'm having yeah, yeah I'm having crazy a little bit of country trouble. hop. I call crazy it, country hop. Call it that you know I call it that just to you know try to give it my my take on it. But anyway, I just think that it's a very interesting concept to figure out you know what it's called. And so let's start yeah. by saying, how did you first get involved in music? Oh, wow. I started playing drums when uh, my parents bought me and my my middle brother a drum set for Christmas, which is seems like when I think about it now, I was like, were they insane? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was seven and my six or seven and my brother was 12 or 13. And, uh, uh, and we just started banging on the drums. So we put the headphones on, you know, and the uh, put the you know the LP on and uh, or the single 45 actually uh-huh. and, uh, <clears throat> and try to play you know get off my cloud or whatever but that was the first song I remember playing drum <laughs> was get off my cloud okay. when I was like six years old wow uh, and then uh, from that point on I was kind of hooked on the drums you know so I played drums all during you know until I went to college pretty much really uh, um and you know, I started playing in bands when I was like twelve or thirteen, I don't know. Uh-huh. And 
you know, but in terms of listening to music, uh, you know, it's primarily in those days, you know, the, the classic rock, I guess, you know, those were the classic rock years, I guess you could say. Right, yeah. So it's like the Stones and the Beatles, pretty much, and the Zeppelin and, you know, the harder stuff. Right. And then, and then when I, you know, but, you know, if you're a drummer, like it's, you know, it's, it's of course, it's fun playing playing anything really but uh, right yeah playing the rock music is fun you know but but it's a lot more fun to play the the funk music or the jazz (laughs) yes if if you're playing drums you know because it's it's a melodic instrument so you know that music is is more you know it's not it's uh it's yeah it's just more you know there's more to it with the drums uh, so I really got into that, uh, you know, along with a lot of other people, you know, especially when, uh, when there was this confluence of jazz and funk and rock, you know, like Miles Davis was doing, yeah, you know, and, and then all that, you know, Mahavishnu Orchestra was doing like sort of this hard rock jazz version thing, you know, and then Miles was copping, copping James Brown stuff and, oh yeah. You know, it was, it was really cool. That was a cool, really cool period for music. So, yeah, then, so then I really got into that, and I was playing all that kind of music on the drums. And then I decided uh, uh, I was just going deaf playing in these bands, you know, because the guitar <laughs> players were playing played so loud, and nobody wore earplugs or anything like that back then. You know? Right. <laughs> yes. like 16 years old, you know. Right. But, you know, there was no master volumes on amps or anything like that, and, and, and everybody had... Hundred watt heads and four by twelve cabinets and stuff. Right, <laughs> stupid loud. Yeah. And so anyway, I decided, uh, you know, about the time I went to college, that I was going to learn how to play guitar. And, uh, but uh, and then by that time, it was like the Sex Pistols and the Clash and all that. You right. Know? I mean, yes. like, well, fuck! I could just be the guitar player. I don't. It doesn't right. matter whether I could play yeah. or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So and I just, so, you know, and I was in art school with all these other weirdos, and, and uh, <laughs> we had that we had this band of you know art school of misfits. Nobody here could yeah. play anything except for the except we got a, we had a good drummer. The drummer was in the music school, so, <laughs> so we started this band called the Vulgar Boatmen. Yes, I know. And, um, and I was uh, the guitar player all of a sudden, and you know, the kind of the, you know, we all wrote the songs together pretty much, but. You know, they were all super simple songs. And we were, yeah. we sounded, the original Vulgar Boatman sounded something like, uh, uh, not really the Red Hot Chili Peppers so much, but what was that other uh, Southern California band that had the, the black dude that played sax and he had the kooky, like, sort of, just like a single tuft of, like, green hair or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even that much of a band. You would throw the sax into the video and everything. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I can't remember the name of the band. I'm sorry, but it was, uh, okay. we were kind of like that. It kind of like a punk, 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 punk R- yeah, Fishbone, exactly. Fishbone. Yeah. yeah. It sounded like Fishbone, kind of like a punk R&B band, basically. Right. That was, that was the original with two singers. We had two singers. Uh-huh. Guitar, bass, and drums, and saxophone was the original vulgar boatman uh-huh. uh, and then uh you know as my songwriting kind of progressed you know i got uh i don't know then it just became you know i moved to new york uh, after college and and uh you know became the silos basically started right. the silos. why the, did that happen why did you change the name just become your project oh oh well at first i went to new york just to 
to be a painter, you know, because I've I studied uh, painting in in art school. Right. I mean, I was a painter, so I was making all these paintings. And you were a painter. I mean, I had you I started painting. <laughs> I started painting when I was like say now fourteen or something, thirteen, fourteen. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, so I was still you know, I. Felt, felt like I was pretty accomplished by the time I got to New York at age 22 right. or whatever. I thought I was going to take over the world or something. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> humbling. <laughs> it was a humbling experience. I could imagine. <laughs> Definitely. I put the New York to get the idea. I mean, I was, a, I was a rock star in Gainesville, Florida. You know, I got to New York and I was like, oh, yeah. like God, there's like, <laughs> like hundred other thousand painters that are like yes. a million times better than me. Right. And, uh, so anyway, I didn't really play music at first when I got to New York for the first few years. Um, I was just working in the art business. Right. Uh, which was super exciting at the time, especially for me. Cause, yeah. Uh, because, because at that time in the early 80s, early early to mid eighties it was uh it was all about painting, you know, there's these oh, yeah. rock star painters, you know, Julian Schnabels and right. David Sally and, you know, Francisco Clemente and blah 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 blah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Then there was all the old guys, you know, Rauschenberg and John. Right. Frank Stella and all those guys, right? So I, right. I ended up getting a job. I I got jobs at like the big, 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 big galleries. So I was working at Leo Catelli and and uh and places like Leo Castelli. And so I got to meet, like, every one of those guys. Wow. Know? It was really cool, yeah. And that's Who's the your favorite? Who was the cool uh, guy? I like all of those guys I like. You mean, personally, <laughs> who was the favorite? Nice, the nicest guy was Ed Richet, I think, I think out of all those guys. Okay. Most of them are, most of them are kind of drunks, to be honest. <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this publicly. <laughs> I'll take it. It'll be they quiet. Stay away. Stay away. <laughs> They weren't anything, but most of them were nothing like you'd expect them to be like. Or, really? Guess, you know, which is like typical in life, I guess. Right. Um, but Ed Richet, super nice dude, really liked him a lot as a person. I love his work, but I like all of those right. guys' work. Those guys are all my heroes, you know, so it yeah, was, was fun to get to personally meet all those guys. Oh, yeah. And work on their, you know, because I worked at the gallery doing, uh, you know, doing the installations, you know. Right. And uh, of course they were all interesting and super smart and all that, you know, which was cool. Um, but they weren't just shit face. <laughs> <laughs> the middle of the day or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and so how did you start I'm making gross generalizations. I'll, I'll, let's say fifty percent generalization. But I mean that was the time, you know, it was a it was a it was a pretty wild time, you know. Yeah, definitely. I imagine. My gosh. And, uh, but anyway, I kinda at some point realized that I was I, it was gonna be very difficult for me to you know, rise in the ranks of being a painter, you know, but certainly at the level that I wanted to you know, my aspirations was. Uh-huh. And I think subconsciously maybe also I've I um uh, Uh, I just felt like it was it was a little bit weird to think that you know you were just making these objects basically for the very wealthy you know like making you know you're just kind of right. a com- you're kind of a commodity to be traded among right. the, the wealthy you know sure you know you're like a hard asset like gold or something like that 
exactly in their portfolios, you know, which is pretty much how it works, you know. I, mean, I, I didn't really understand that until I went to New York and started, you know, working at those galleries for those uh-huh. big dealers, you know, the big dealers and stuff. Right. Um, so anyway, I started, you know, recording my little songs and stuff that I've been writing and and uh, took the money from, the, you know, because back then it was very inexpensive to live in New York City, believe it or right. not. Yes. And uh, <laughs> cause the place is abandoned pretty much. So my, and my rent was like my rent was hundred and thirty seven dollars a month. Wow. My gosh. And uh and I was making like a hundred bucks a day at least, you know, at the working, you know. Yeah. So I was like making my whole rent in like one day. Wow. So anyway, so I took the money that I was keeping and uh uh, you know, that I wasn't spending at the Peppermint Lounge on beers or whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and and I uh, took my little recordings and pressed an LP in. And, uh, but, I, you know, I thought my name was a little bit too weird for people. Plus, I always thought bands right. were cooler. Than, <laughs> you know, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to keep a band together in New York City. Yes. <laughs> you know, I was used to the, the Boatman in Gainesville where we were all yeah. buddies and, you know, whatever. Right. And, uh, so anyway, I came up with that name because it's kind of like my last name. It's kind of like Salas, right? Salas. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I kind of had the, the first version of it, you know, Salas 1.0, which was probably one of the better versions, really. Right. Um, or what? This is the version that everybody kind of knows. You know, this is typical in most artists' careers. You know, it's like the, right. the first few things you do is what people Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um you know, whether it's best or not, it's up for discussion. Most of let's say. Discussion, <laughs> um, and uh, I'm going to put that little record out. I, I didn't really think much of it. You know, I just pressed a thousand copies. I don't know what to do with it. So I just put it all, I took, you know, like maybe 50 of the, you know, LPs out of the, out of the, you know, all the boxes <laughs> in, my, in my kitchen yeah. or whatever, and I got I got like the, you know the cardboard mailer things, you know, and I just I just stuck LPs in like fifty boxes, right? And I didn't put I didn't know I had absolutely no idea what I was doing for that. Like I didn't I didn't even put my phone number in there. I didn't put a picture. Really? I didn't put a press release. Phone no phone wow. number. No nothing. Just the album itself. Uh-huh. And then I didn't even do the research to see to put on the on the outside of the box, like who I was actually sending it to. Like I didn't research that it was like, I didn't put like John Perellis, New York Times, blah, blah, blah. I just right. put New York Times, <laughs> the address, you know, or like, uh, you know, the LA, you know, LA Herald at the time. Right. Or the, you know, whatever, the New York Post or the, or the Rolling yeah. Stone, the Rolling Stone magazine or you know, spin magazine or whatever the hell it was. Right. And the, and the London ones, too. I sent to the London ones. I sent four or five copies out to the London ones. You know, <laughs> and Enemy and all that. Yeah. And a few of the fanzines, too. You know, the Bob and the Sound Choice, I think it was called, an Option. I don't know if you remember any of this stuff. But uh, anyway, so I just, then I just got forgot all about it, you know. And then uh, I didn't forget all about it. But that was like in October, November 1985. Right. And, uh, and then I went home for Christmas, you know, back to visit my parents. And uh-huh. I got a call from one of my buddies in New York. And he's like, dude, you're the pop album of the week in the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
you've got to be kidding me. That's insane, right? <laughs> so, so, so then I started doing a little research, and the fucking record got written up everywhere. Like, it, like all these, you know, all got written up at NME and the fucking sounds and the LA and New York, everywhere, you know? Pretty much everywhere <laughs> I sent the fucking record to, they wrote about it. And, uh, because, you know, honestly, there wasn't a lot of competition back then. I mean, there wasn't right. like indie bands. And there wasn't, but, you know, it was a total different scene back then because it was expensive to make records. Yeah, totally. Unless you were like me and you actually owned a four-track machine. Right. <laughs> uh, and were willing to put in the time to try to make something that sounded really Sure. Good. Right. Uh, or you spent the money to go to a real studio, which is back then, you know, it'd be like 50 bucks an hour or something. And, you know, oh, yeah. to make a whole record, you know, thousands thousands of dollars you know right can just turn your computer on and hit record or whatever like <laughs> yeah. you know. exactly. um, or spending a hundred hours and you know twiddling away on your laptop you know with a million electronic samples and stuff <clears throat> but uh anyway i digress so <laughs> then i was like well sure i guess i should i guess i should put a band together <laughs> I, didn't <laughs> really, I didn't even <laughs> So like, you know, I, you know, I had, there was, I had this friend with Bob Riff was my friend, you know, from Florida and growing up, and uh, and I had met uh, through my uh, girlfriend, and that uh, one of her friends was this great uh, violinist, Mary Rowell. Right. And so I recruited them, and then we put an ad in the Village Voice and found a bass player and a drummer, and started playing shows. Wow. And then, and then it kind of mutated, you know. And then the band started mutating, and, you know, right. the grinder <laughs> of like a billion members, you know, and then we finally <laughs> made a second record in an actual studio as kind of like a quote-unquote band. Right. Um, and that was the Cuba record, which got a lot of attention. Yeah. And then we got an agent, and we finally did a whole nas- national tour and everything like that. And yeah. but, but the problem was we kind of sucked live. We had no <laughs> idea what we were doing. And we had gotten so much attention that we thought, like, you know, we didn't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> we thought, oh, everybody's going to love us, you know, like, that we didn't actually have to be good and didn't really, like, work at it, you know. And we were super arrogant and shit. We were just a bunch of punks, you know, pretty much. I mean, not pretty much. We were total punks. And, and uh and so we thought for sure we were going to get some huge record contract or something <laughs> right. because the album had gotten so much attention and like all these A&R guys were kind of everywhere we went. You know, there was like the whole right. crowd was like all A&R guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, but no one made us an offer. And we were like at the end of this, this huge tour we did behind that Cuba record, we were like, what the fuck? What's happening here? Why are we getting signed? <laughs> We didn't, we, didn't, exactly. we didn't think, like, well, maybe we suck. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we ought to try to actually, like, put a set list together. Or, right. You know, we thought we could be the the replacements, you know. Right. That was kind of, that exactly. was kind of like that, you know. We could do total fuck-ups and still, like, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, but anyway, what, what eventually happened was we, uh, we had a man, we had a really good manager, but he was like afraid of us or something. He would tell us that we sucked, you know? And so he finally found this other dude who was, who was, uh, would come to our gigs and say, man, I want to be your manager. You know, I, it was some, it was a guy who was a real estate agent. He had never been a right. manager or anything like that. But he was this 
super loud, brash dude with, you know, with speak his mind, you know, and he was like, you know, you got to like get a better, you know, you got to get a crack rhythm section and you got to, you know, craft your set a certain way and you have to fucking play one song to the next. You can't be fucking around for like five minutes <laughs> songs. You got to actually look at the audience and you know, recognize, that they're, recognize that they're in the room with you. You know, stuff, stuff like that, right? So we did all we, so we actually did all that. We got a <laughs> we got a couple of, we got a super good drummer and super good bass player. And uh and then we did that, you know, and we had a little wardrobe, not much of a wardrobe, but you know, we kinda of were a little bit right. we wearing and stuff. And uh, we just had a little bit tighter sets and you know, we had such a good rhythm section and everything. And uh, and that's when we got signed to a big record deal. Wow. But then we well, made like a super weird out. We still thought we could do no wrong and that we could just do whatever <laughs> we wanted. It's like everybody would love us and we didn't need any help from anybody. You know, like it's just total idiots. And so amazingly, the the record label, you know, we went in there and to the meeting with the president of the label and told him what we wanted to do, which was completely stupid, which was uh, <laughs> make a record in a, in a theater. And like, we were, we were like, hate, we hated everything basically. And, and we hated everything artificial. Like we hated like this, you know, the, all the records that were coming out at the time that had right. the big, the big gated reverb on the snare drum and like, you sure. know, like, you know, like the Bruce Springsteen albums and the John Cougar albums and all that. Right. Right. And, uh, we liked the old stuff. We liked, you know, the, the out green records or whatever. Yeah. You know? definitely. <clears throat> and, uh, anyway, so we thought we would do something like that, you know, recreate like, you know, the stacks. Right. Or something. <laughs> 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 live we didn't realize how fucking hard that is <laughs> to make that sound any good, right? It's super right. hard to make that sound. You wouldn't believe how hard it is to make that sound sure. good. And, uh, you know, anyway, so we made this record like that, and uh, it's cool and everything, but, you know, this, like, you listen to that record, and then you listen to the record that came out exactly the same month, which was the first Black Crows record, like, that's right. what we were up against. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, when I heard that Black Crows record, I was like, oh, we're doomed. <laughs> what were we thinking? You know, we could have just gone down the fucking street to the hit factory and hired, you know, <laughs> fucking Bob Rock or one of those guys. Right, and made a yes. ginormous record with the same uh, songs. Yes. And we could have been the Black Rose, probably, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but the idiots we were, we did what we did, and, uh, you know, we didn't sell any records, so we got to uh, get dropped. And then it was just back to like you know get a whole other band together and, <laughs> and uh, you know how many albums twenty four albums is that right yeah yeah something like that that's a lot of albums a lot and of so albums. my question is are you most, of them, most of them you know people don't really know hardly you know it's <laughs> unfortunate because most of them are good albums but. You know, yeah, how, real hardcore fans. Now, like you know, like maybe there's a couple thousand real hardcore fans out there that right. actually sure. heard these albums, but it's really like the you know the 
like 50,000 or 100,000 or whatever people heard oh, yeah. those first couple albums. You know? Right. But my question is, are mm-hmm. you a writer or a, are you a performer who paints or a painter who does music? Uh, wow. Uh, well, I'm all of that, right? Of course, you know. I'm just a guy that likes different things. You know, like, you know, I'm an artist, you know, basically, is what I would say. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, an artist is, is, you know, can be well-rounded in many different Right. Ones. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to be, like, one to be... I mean, I could tell you what I'm best at, which is... Which is okay, well, tell me. In the visual arts, I'm best at, you know, the more conceptual part. I mean, I'm not a great right. draft, draftsman or anything like that, but, you know, I, I know how to create a vibe. Right. And, and uh, you've gotten a lot of good, you know, vibes for the the dogs and the and the horses, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're and you know, I mean, I would say I'm pretty good at it. So like, it's you know, right. people people love their paintings. They're cool. I've always been a good painter. Oh, yeah. that way. You yeah. know, without, without ever being a great draftsman. Right. And then I would say the same thing about the music. You know, I've never been a great singer, and certainly not a great guitar player. Right. Uh, but I'm a decent writer, and I know how to create a, a cool vibe on the recordings and stuff. So, and I'm a decent now. Now that I'm older, and I can sing way better, you know, and I, and I certainly perform way better. You know, I can right. I'm way funnier and more engaging and inclusive and so forth. Right. You know, partly because I'm just way, way humbler. I'm way humble. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm not a big fucking jerk anymore like I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> but this is true probably for, you know, for you too or everybody. Many really, people. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah so. And so what's next for you in either, in either genre, in either painting or music? Oh, well, you know, I'm still doing, uh, you know, making, doing really into the horses. Right. And I've got, uh, I mean, I had so much shit lined up this year that got canceled, you know, right. in terms of, in terms of uh, <laughs> like art. Ex- I, had, I had several art exhibitions that had to be postponed until next year, so. Right. Definitely going to be a lot more going on with the horses next year in terms of right. actual gallery exhibitions. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to build up the online thing with that. And then, yeah. you, know, the doc, you know, the doc commissions just keep rolling in kind of fairly consistently. Wow. Which is nice. And that's that's a nice thing. You know, I'm more psyched about the horses at the moment, but, you know, the dogs are fun. Right. And uh, in terms of the music, um. I've got new songs. I'm a little bit. Uh, I'm a little bit like on the fence as to how to release them exactly. Right. Yes. And I think, I mean, my current thinking is there has to be. I can't just release songs anymore. Just the music. It's just right. To, like nobody cares really. Right. So it's like. There has to be a visual. There has to be a little movie, basically. Right. It has to be, uh, or this is what I want it to be anyway, would be like, uh, I guess I would just release singles. I really don't know. You know, I really don't know how I could do it. I mean, I've I've got enough stuff that I could make another album. Uh But I just don't, you know. Like, I I made this, uh, here's an example. Like, I made this, 
I was writing songs with Jonathan Lethem. You know this guy, Jonathan Lethem? Right, sure. You know who he is? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Okay. So anyway, so we're buddies, and we, he wants, you know, he loves writing songs with people and this and that. And so anyway, we write an album of songs, and I was like, yeah, this is cool, I guess, and then we'll come up with a new band name and then <laughs> put it out there. And of course, like nobody gives a shit because no one like five hundred copies or something. Yeah, and you know everybody, everybody's disappointed. You know the record label and you know anybody that had any had any skin in the game is of course right. disappointed. And, and <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so then, you know a couple of years go by or I don't know, ten years go no, by, and uh, and we're talking about doing something else, and he wants to just keep writing songs and just you know do it old school, you know, just keep making record albums yeah and, and i just don't i'm just like i just said forget it forget that this is like going nowhere <laughs> let's do something else let's do like an opera or something you know what I mean? like, yeah. or a musical theater or something like that you know but I, yeah but i really can't get him interested in it at all he still just wants to write songs you know so he's so so we come up with but he's willing to try you know whatever so we so we uh, come up with, a, you know, I count on him to come up with this stuff. He's the fucking super, whatever, right. famous novelist, yeah. right? I'm thinking, okay, you could come up with a fucking storyline. <laughs> yeah. This thing, right? And so right. he does, but he's just real half-assed. You know, he really just wants to write the song. He doesn't really care. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so anyway, so we do this thing, and it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of cool, actually, but there's no story. You know, it's not. The songs are cool, but the story is not that much. It's not like high drama and murder and, you know, it's not Shakespeare right. stuff. You know, like the theater is like big themes and if you're shooting really big, big, really high, big you know. stuff, you know, the theater is not like film, you know, it's not like, you know, film you can make a little movie that's just like a little emotional moment and, you know, yes. there's not a big you know, giant scope or anything, but the the theater has to be big, 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 right? I, I, right. Anyway, <clears throat> so anyway, I was telling this story to uh, to this manager guy I know, and so he gets right on the face. He's like, oh, my God, Jonathan Lutham, really? Are you kidding me? I love that guy. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, I would even stop talking, and he's already calling New York to, like, every <laughs> producer that he does, right? <laughs> <laughs> So he talks to these guys that these guys in New York and sort of optioning one of Jonathan's books. You know, they're like, wow. like the only the only one that's not been optioned for a theater right. production yet. <laughs> and uh and so then we started writing songs, you know, so I don't know where that's gonna go. But that could be cool. Like something like that would be cool. Or yeah. you know, like if it was a new Silos record but like where every song was a video and right. not only that, every song was there was a purpose to it, you know, like to raise money for something, some, sure. something altruistic or, you yeah. know, like I, have, I have a song about the Grand Canyon, you know, that I want to use to raise money for the Grand Canyon Trust. And, right. You know, I'd also love to just get other people to, to record some of these songs, you know, because. Wow. I mean, that would go so much further and we'd raise so much more money. If, right. If somebody that had, had a real audience. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you do. I think that is just clear, and it's just fun to hear you talk about this because you clearly have an audience, and I just—that's why I wanted you to tell the podcast is to talk to 
you about uh, you. Yeah. You know. So anyway, that's what's going on. I got I've got a I've got a song about the Colorado River that I want to use to raise money for the Grand Canyon Trust. Okay. Because I think it's, you know, the national parks are, and, you know, I live very close to the Grand Canyon, so it's, you know, near and dear to right. my heart. But they're right. all, I've been to most of them, at least the ones in the West. And, uh, you know, they're, they're our greatest. Oh, yeah. Our greatest things. They really need to be protected. And they are really under threat. Totally. Like, you wouldn't believe the shit that goes on around here. Yeah. <laughs> with, with the developers and the miners, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. It's just crazy. And the exploitation of the indigenous people and all of that, it's just, it's mind-boggling. So, and so, think, yeah, but there's good people out there like the Grand Canyon Trust that are really, they're really out there, man. Like, yes. all the fucking meetings and making sure these douchebags don't, right. don't get a, you know, <laughs> don't get in there and work their dark magic. <laughs> <laughs> and so if they want to find you know, out if, about you if there's nobody if there's nobody there like you know to counteract these people man they'll just right. destroy oh, yeah. they'll destroy everything man they don't oh, yeah. care totally they, they only care about the money you know? <laughs> so, and so to find you where do they yeah. go to find me yeah to who the the audience the, where do they go to find your stuff Oh, they can go to my website. I mean, that's everywhere on my stuff. You know, you just okay. have to type in my name and hit right. search. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you get to, it's all on Spotify and, you know, Pandora. And, uh, yes. You know, with the Apple Store, I guess, or you can go to my website or, you know, anywhere, really. <laughs> Lots of places to find Google. Yourself. You can just Google me. <laughs> I don't know. That YouTube. sounds great. It's all on YouTube, right? It's all on YouTube, it's all everywhere. You know, I use it. I, I use an aggregator just like everybody else does. You know? Yeah. I mean, I have to use the Orchard, but you know, you could use CD Baby or Tone Tone. Sure. Whatever the fuck it's called. Well, they put your shit everywhere, all over the world. Oh yeah, totally. So, yeah, it's just a matter of you know, it's just a matter of. Uh, but that would be great. Yeah, if I could even just up my game from a you know, a hundred bucks a month. And royalty income to two hundred bucks a month. I'd be overjoyed. <laughs> so thank you, man. And I just I uh, thank you. Thank you for so much for coming on. Sure. So, uh, let me plug my next live stream. Oh, concert. oh actually, let's do it. my first, my first. Sure. Live let's do it. Plug away. It's it's, uh, it's going to be uh, at the Orpheum Theater here in Flagstaff. They're having a, wow. a live streaming series on Saturday. So it's a couple oh, Saturdays yeah. from now. It's a couple Saturdays from now, um, July 25th. It's going to wow. be at 7 p.m. West Coast, 10 p.m. East Coast. Right. Uh, it's me and my Flagstaff guys, El Camino is the name of uh, my Flagstaff. Guys. Right. El Camino with a K. With a K, yes, I was going to say. And, uh, yeah, we're going to rock the air. I guess we're going to be in a big theater by by ourselves or whatever. (laughs) 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 There'll be be somebody there with an iPhone streaming it onto Facebook. (laughs) It's Orpheum Theater Presents, I think it's a Facebook page, or Orpheum Theater Flagstaff. Wow. And it's going to be that's... Facebook and YouTube, I believe, are the two streaming platforms we're using. Well, that's perfect. Yeah. And thank you for coming on the show. I, I uh, thank you. <laughs> keep up, All keep right. Up, keep up the good work. <laughs> All right, All man. Right. Talk to you later. DaleWileyShow.com.